You also have an outline of today's sermon, and my challenge today is to communicate the outline um, and the empty spaces that are on it uh, without an overhead. <clears throat> One more thing by introduction, we're, we're going to Nehemiah chapter 12. And the title of the message is Happiness is a Choice. And uh, at least on the surface, and when you first hear some of what I'm going to say this morning, you're going to say to yourself, I don't agree with that. But uh, hear me out for 30 minutes. Whenever I hear someone say, well, under the circumstances, I've said that many times myself, and I bet most of you have too. But, but my, my first response is, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? We've all been there. We, we all have thought at one time or another that our circumstances somehow controls or determines our happiness. In chapter 1 of Nehemiah, all the way to here now in chapter 12, very little had changed. Oh, the wall had been built, but they were still under foreign rule. Sanballat and Tobiah, the local warlords with their little army, and Geshem, the, the Arab, were still huge thorns in their side. And they still had to organize everything and get everybody into Jerusalem and get things up and running. Their circumstances, however, did not dictate their choice to celebrate the rebuilding of the wall. I want to read just three or four verses. Verse 27 of chapter 12. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps and guitars and drums. And it was a great celebration. Verse 31. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand, verse 38. The other thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. And I was behind them with half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall. And above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the Tower of Hundred, and as far as the Sheep Gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, likewise I and half of the rulers with me, and the priests, who are named, middle of verse 42, the singers sang loudly with Jezrehiah, the director. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you, Father, that the joy that is defined in Scripture is not something that is dependent upon anybody else or any circumstance. 
I thank you that it's built upon relationship and many other things that you bring into our lives. I pray, Father, that we will be challenged this morning to look inward and ask ourselves the serious question, am I a bitter person? Am I an angry person? Am I a resentful person? Am I a person that defaults to self-pity? Am I looking at circumstances instead of Jesus for this elusive thing called happiness? I pray, Father, that you would challenge our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I've yet to meet anybody who didn't want to be happy. Yet I have met so very few people who truly are. The reason for this is that true happiness has to do with things like inner joy. It's not built upon circumstances, but understanding that I have a purpose and to live in that purpose. To understand that I am significant and my significance isn't found in what I accomplish. My significance is found in who I am, in Christ, a new creature, a child of God, a son of God, adopted as joint heir with Christ, and I'm going to be living with him in eternally. Jesus thinks I am so significant that he came to die on that cross to make it possible for me to know who I am in Christ. I know that I am valued. I know that I belong. That is something that the world just so desperately is searching for, a sense of identity, belonging. And I am accepted in the beloved in Christ, I'm told in Ephesians 1. And the good thing is... The best is yet to come. In ages of ages, in a glorified body in the presence of Christ, I live with great anticipation and great hope. And as I see what is happening in America today, I grieve inwardly. I am so saddened by that. But I rejoice at the same time knowing that this is leading to the return of Christ. And that brings joy and puts perspective into my life. Most people look for happiness in the shallow, fleeting stuff, comfort, ease, possessions, pleasures, fun in the sun. But if true happiness were found in these things, why can people never get enough? Happiness begins, first of all, in understanding what it is. Happiness is sought by all, but chosen by few. That's the outline, by the way. In essence, I can seek happiness in terms of trying to satisfy my animal desires, or I can seek happiness in knowing, enjoying, and serving my Lord Jesus. And then, as a result, enjoy the assurance of his presence in every circumstance and season of life. If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. Pretty familiar passage. <clears throat> Jesus is talking and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is one of the expressions of happiness. The happiness that God gives. 
And he goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And here's why. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is the yoke that Jesus puts upon us? Liberty. Freedom. Freedom from the yoke and bondage of the slavery of sin. The twelfth chapter of Nehemiah is not a manual teaching us how to be happy. What it is is a picture of truly happy people, truly happy people that illustrate for us what happiness is. Now, I'm as sure of the statement that I'm going to make. I'm as sure as I am sure that the, that the sun shines, birds fly, fish swim, and the weather in Alaska is changeable. I'm that sure what I'm going to say. Happiness is the result of obedience to God's revealed word. Roman numeral one. Happiness is the result of obedience to God's revealed word. Now, where do I find that in Nehemiah chapter 12? Well, to show you where I find that, we need to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah prophesied just before the captivity of Israel and then during the early days of the captivity, which was a discipline by the Lord to the nation of Israel. Actually, to the two tribes of Judah, Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes of Israel had already been disciplined and taken captive to Assyria. And by the way, for those of you that are familiar with the Ezekiel's thing where he laid on his side for so many days, and then he laid over on his other side for many more days to illustrate to, to people, the children of Israel, what was going to happen and how long it was going to last if they didn't repent. They would be taken off into captivity for that length. We're going to see how long the, Judah, here in a minute, but Israel, the ten northern tribes who were just steeped in apostasy and wretched idolatry, horrible, and they went off into captivity and they would not repent. And there is a multiplier of seven in Scripture that when God said to them, and if you will not repent, your time of captivity will be multiplied times seven. And you do the math, and it comes out this decade, right now. I will not be surprised if what is happening in Israel, and as you look around the whole world, all of these demonstrations, they're not about Israel, they're about Jews. It's anti-Semitic. It could be that this is the Lord's way of saying, you better get back home. Uh, driving the, the Israelis back to, back to Israel. When the early church began, how did God, God get the church going? Out. He brought persecution. Maybe that's what's going to happen. I don't know. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, 
I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations from which all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And this is an interesting statement, verse 15, because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets to us in Babylon. And they listened to those prophets and they believed them. Who were those prophets? Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel, Haggai, Zechariah, and especially Daniel. If you will, turn to Daniel chapter 9. Verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. That's what the prophet said. The people believed. And how do I know that they believed? They packed up their bags and returned to Jerusalem. And we read in in, uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 1, now these are the priests and the Levites who came. Verse 22. During the reign of Darius the Persian, a record was kept of the Levites and priests, and, and so on. There's records here of the people who listened to the prophets, obeyed, and returned. That's why I can say, happiness is the result of obedience to God's revealed word. That was then. What about now? God's veracity has not somehow changed. Obedience to God's revealed word is still the pathway to truly being happy. I've yet to meet a joyful drug user. Have you? I've yet to meet somebody who gets rip-roaring drunk on Saturday who's happy on Sunday morning. Have you? When we are enslaved in sin, it doesn't lead to happiness. We say, oh, I'm free. No. You're in bondage. Freedom comes through Jesus. And here's another thing I want to throw in. I've yet to meet a Christian who stubbornly refused to obey God's revealed word who was happy. I said a few weeks ago that repentance is the doorway to joy. Because repentance leads to obedience, which leads to happiness. Now this second statement, in many ways, builds upon the first. Number one, Roman number one, happiness is the result of obedience to God's word. Roman numeral number two, happiness is proportional to one's investment. 
Happiness is proportional to one's investment. That is true in anything, particularly in marriage. The grass is never greener on the other side of the fence. It's greener where the grass is watered. As we invest in our marriage, we find happiness and success. When we neglect it, corrosion begins. Now, before I see how this statement was true in our text, I want to just read several random investment imperatives from Proverbs. Each one illustrates the cause and effect relationship between happiness and the investments that we make toward it. Now, each of these are from the modern uh, paraphrases. Investment imperatives, Roman, or excuse me, letter A in your outline. The first arrow, number one, self-motivation. self-motivation. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Take a lesson from the ants. Learn from her ways and be wise. For though they have no king to make them work, yet they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. The second one, excuses. The lazy man is full of excuses. I can't go to work, he says. If I go outside, I might meet a lion in the street and be killed. That's Proverbs 26, 13 to 16. Unlike the ant, a lazy man is cold and hungry come winter. The third one, hard work. From Proverbs 10, 4 and 5. Hard workers get rich. A wise Youth makes hay while the sun shines. I like these modern paraphrases. The fourth one, making money. If you won't plow in the cold, you won't eat in harvest. Proverbs 24. Likewise, happiness doesn't just happen. Next one, I think that's five, planning. Proverbs 22, three. A prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. If you're unhappy, who's to blame? You know what we do, and you're probably no different than I am, but my first response when I am unhappy is to look around and see the circumstance of the person who caused it, and then I go to the default button, and I push the self-pity button. Been there? Done that? Whoa, whoa, is me. I'm going to go in the corner and eat worms. Establishing priorities is the next one, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Are you stingy with, e- with other people? Are you stingy with the Lord or are you a generous person? If you're stingy, I know one thing about you. You're basically... Pretty unhappy. Good management is the next one, Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Any enterprise that is built on wise planning becomes strong through common sense and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. I believe from this verse I get this sense. A life that is well-ordered and disciplined results in genuine happiness. There are no shortcuts. And then this one, ultimate investment secret, Proverbs 3, 6. In everything you do, put God first 
and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. I'm going to list two more taken from the New Testament. Uh, this one is quality of return, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And from 2 Corinthians 9, 6, quantity of return. He who, spoke, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The underlying reality in all of these is that happiness doesn't just happen. It is planned, it is chosen, and it is the result of ongoing life investments. Happiness is not a destination. It is a road of continual choices. And there's one more critical choice. Uh, this would be B under two. Investment initiatives. Number one, select the right project. Now, uh, in Nehemiah, we read, and I'm making application here, not interpretation, but it says, now at the dedication of the wall, they had selected the right project. And from this, I just want to ask, are you investing your life in things that really matter? Here it was the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. The project was bigger than any one person, and it had eternal significance. Now, how do you know if your life investments are eternally valuable? Are, are you focused, are you investing your life on things that really matter? You need to identify what, what it is that you're focused on. And here's how you do it. Ask yourself, what holds my affections? What's really important to me? And upon what is my emotional focus? That's a, that's a real re revealer. Is it significant eternally? If so, you know happiness even in the midst of sadness and sorrow. As I spent uh, two hours with uh, Claire Floyd at his bedside yesterday, or Wednesday, uh, his body's shutting down, he's checking out. He's going to receive a glorified body here before long. Uh, it was a precious time. It was bittersweet. It was sad but sweet. There is joy in the midst of the sorrow of, 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 of his home going. But it's the fact that he's going home that brought the joy. His focus, his inv life investments uh, have set a great reward ahead. And it was a joyful time, even though it was a sad time. And with that, not only selecting the right project, but selecting the right, is that what I said, project? Selecting right projects. Selecting the right people. And here, in this case, they sought out the Levites for this celebration. They were the right people. There's a principle I want to take from that, and it's true of all life choices, and it's found in Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Our choice of close friends will shape our values, attitudes, and long-term success or failure 
more than we will ever be willing to admit. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Proverbs 13.20 concludes, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Happiness results in obedience to God's revealed word. Happiness is proportional to one's investments. And third, happiness is always preceded by holiness. In verse 30, it says that the priests and the Levites purified themselves and the people. This was a ceremonial uh, purification in their case. We know intuitively, instinctively, and Scripture Scripture speaks to this over and over. There can be no fellowship with a superior apart from obedience to him. Another way of saying this, you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to get your ticket punched to go to heaven and then do as you please, I'm sorry, if you're truly gone your way to heaven, if you've truly got your ticket punched, you've acknowledged that Jesus is the CEO of your life, and you have submitted yourself to his authority. That's a part of what believing truly means. Many Christians believe the facts, or many people who think they're Christians believe the facts, just like the demons believe and tremble. Demons believe in Jesus, but they're not submitted to his authority. A part of believing is acknowledging Jesus to be who he said he is, our creator and final judge, before whom one day we will stand. And folks, I'm not afraid of Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my friend. But he's also the one who will judge me at the judgment seat of Christ, spoken of by Paul in Corinthians. And so I also serve him, and there is a sense of fear It's a fear not that he's going to send me to hell or something. But it's a fear that I live my life in a way that is pleasing to him. That one day he will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. I don't want my life to be lived selfishly. Seeking somehow to think that I know better than what God knows is best for me. And yet that's the lie that Satan would bring us. Jesus says, my yoke is light. My burden's not heavy. And it isn't, if we're willing to live in obedience to him. The fourth statement begins like, is this. Happiness inevitably leads to expanded horizons. From in the trenches, sludging it out, to now they're celebrating on top of the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall. Their horizons have now expanded exponentially. And again, by way of applications, that is the way it is when our life focus is off of ourselves and our own selfish pursuits. Genuine happiness follows the kind that God gives that comes from within when we get our focus off of ourselves and on to the Lord and those to whom he has called us to love. And that kind of happiness is infectious. 
and its legacy of friends becomes larger than one is able to manage. True, God-given happiness is contagious. It's infectious. It draws people to you and to him. In verse 43 of our text, which is the last verse that I'm covering today, it says that the, the joy was heard afar off. <clears throat> what the people afar off heard was music. What they caught was the joy in that music. Have you ever gone to a church worship service that made you feel like you had just entered a, a mortuary? What message does that send? And it's also true individually. God-given joy, genuine God-given joy, is the greatest evangelism tool God ever gave us. I, I wish we could have had the seminar here also that Kenai Grace had yesterday. Uh, Dr. Tony Webb, who will be speaking here uh, next Sunday. <clears throat> a a six-hour seminar teaching time. And essentially, what I got out of it in terms of evangelism, what he said was, have a passion for the law, really care, love people. Love the Lord. Be obedient to him and allow him to fill your life with, with his joy with the Holy Spirit, and you just go out and make relationships with people, guess what? They're going to want what you have. Now that's not a program. That's not a gimmick. That's not a plan. It's allowing the life of Jesus to be lived unhindered through you. It was a great challenge. Be who you are in the marketplace of life. If it's filled with the Spirit, God will use you to draw people to himself. Pretty profound, isn't it? <laughs> that summarizes what I heard yesterday in six hours. There's last, one last statement here that I think is essential to all the rest. Number five, happiness is sustained by a consistent lifestyle. Happiness is sustained by a consistent lifestyle. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered on and on and on. They didn't quit. It was an ongoing thing. By application, it's ongoing until the day the lid in our casket is closed. Again, by application, authentic Christians know an inner joy that sustains them in every circumstance, even in the mundane situations of life. I said early at the, at the beginning of this message that the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to understand what happiness is. If we're going to be happy, we know, need to know what it is. And I have learned that happiness does not have anything to do with our circumstances or any other living person. It all goes back to relationship with Jesus knowing that we're secure, knowing that we're significant, 
knowing that we have purpose, knowing that we have a destiny that is out of this world. All of this, obedience to him, walking on, loving people, loving him. I've, I know what it is to lose loved ones. I know what it is to lose my own child. I know what it is to go through serious automobile accident. And folks, I know what it is, the agony that many of you parents of adult children are facing right this minute because of poor decisions by your adult children. I understand that also. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that. But even then, because of my relationship with the Father, I can rest. And a father that loves my kid more than I do. It took me a long time to get there. But once I got there, I knew joy, even in the midst of painful things. Happiness is a choice. It is not dependent upon any other person or circumstance. And I want to leave you with this. Are you contagious? Have you come to that level of maturity in your life, of obedience to him, relationship with him, where you have become a person people truly seek? They want to be like you because you're contagious. Four things. Number one, four statements. Happiness is primarily a matter of keeping first things first. In the journey, it's not a destination. Happiness is primarily a matter of keeping first things first. And second, happiness will never be discovered until it is correctly defined. Until it is correctly defined. Don't be suckered into the material advertising of our media and to think you can't be happy unless this and this and this and this and this. All that stuff has nothing to do with the happiness that God gives. Third, happiness is not dependent upon outward circumstances, but inward choices. And finally, happiness is not found necessarily by God calming the storm, but by calming the saint. The author of Hebrews said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. True happiness, what the Bible calls joy, is available to all, but quite honestly, chosen by few. Happiness is never dependent upon anybody else. It's a choice that's entirely and absolutely up to you. Father, I thank you that you came to give us a life, a life of abundance defined biblically that is found in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's found in obedience. It's found in all of the things that we've talked about this morning. And the, the result is uh, happiness, which is joy, defined by Scripture as the byproduct of all that we've talked about. 
And I, Father, I thank you that is your will and purpose for us to know that kind of life-sustaining foundation through any and every circumstance of life. I pray, Father, that we would be truly joyful people because we have chosen to be. In Jesus' name, amen.